Hey everyone, welcome back to Peeling Back Money and Life. This is a great place to understand the multiple layers money can play in your life and how we can maximize the money that comes into our lives. As your host, Casey Redmond, it is my mission to provide my perspective and experience and how we can maximize our lives today while we plan for the future. In this episode, we will discuss a step-by-step guide to determine the percentage of how much you should have in stocks, in bonds, and cash, aka also known as asset allocation. As you will come to learn in this episode, asset allocation is very important when looking at a projected long-term return of your investments. It is not an exact science though, but more of an art when determining from individual to individual on what is right. Many great investors of our time will defer slightly in their recommendations. So without further ado, let's get started. Asset allocation is the number one driver of your return on investment. Cost of investments also play a big important role, but asset allocation is the number one driver. Asset allocation is simply looking at the right mix of asset classes in both stocks and bonds. And by choosing that right mix, you can reduce the overall volatility and risk of your portfolio while you still increase those returns. So choosing the right mix is huge. And choosing the right mix is known as diversification. Diversification. So you're diversifying yourself in U.S. stocks, in international stocks. And this is was developed by modern portfolio theory was developed by Harry Markowitz in the 1950s. And basically, if you haven't heard of that term, you might be like, huh? Well, it's modern portfolio theory. And basically, the theory demonstrates that portfolio diversification can reduce investment risk. And and it's the statement we have all heard before by not putting your eggs all in one basket. So different asset classes will perform differently at different times. So it's a good thing that not every investment goes up or down at the same time. Although we would love everything to go up, 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 and up and all the time, but we know that there's an ebb and flow, kind of like a roller coaster, kind of like when you the weather. Sometimes it's going to rain. Sometimes we're going to have a drought. And it's going to just gonna be an ebb and flow. So we have to understand that and intuitively understand it and come, and, and come to grips with it. You know, think of the housing crash in 0809. All basically a lot of the stocks went down if not all of them but the good quality government corporate bonds went up during that time and those same bonds went up also during the most recent downturn of when we were on lockdown during COVID so at other times you may have US stocks go down and international stocks go up or vice versa so it's that's why diversification is important so and sometimes you may have everything go up in a year and sometimes it may be a couple of stocks here and there. So again, how you allocate your investments between stocks, bonds, and cash is critically important. Much more important than when you buy, what you buy, or how often you buy. So, you know, are you going to be a 70% stocks, 30% bonds and cash person couple? What is it going to be for you? So, and according to Vanguard, extensive research has shown that if you have a diversified portfolio, a whopping 88% of your experience, the volatility you encounter and the returns you earn can be traced back to your asset allocation. Big returns come with big risk and there's no way of getting around that issue. So if you want big returns, you're gonna have to own more stocks. You know, those I'm talking about returns beyond inflation and then some. Inflation runs about 3% a year on average over the last decades and decades and decades. 
you must assume more short-term risk with your money. So if you want it to grow beyond that inflation, if you want to set yourself up and not run out of money, you must take some risk with your money. And you can't simply, you know, leave it in, leave it in the bank, leave it in the credit union, leave it in a CD, or leave it in your mattress. All those options are going to earn inflation at best, and many of them will earn worse. So in essence, if you're not keeping up with inflation, you're losing money because inflation is going to be there. So as we've discussed previously, focusing on cost, I've, I've talked about cost in previous episodes when owning stocks and, and broad diversification. And this will take you back to those very efficient, cheap index funds or ETF funds. And if you want to know, like, what is what are certain asset allocation uh, going to return for me? So let's say you're a 100% bond person, government, corporate bonds, and these are these are intermediate um, long-term bonds, like the total bond market index fund, for example. The historical return, and this is the last 1926 to 2018, and this is according to Vanguard, is 5.3% as the average annual return over that time span, 1926 to 2018, 100% in bonds. The the worst year was an 8% loss. The best year was a 32.5% gain. Years with a loss was 14 of 93. So even 100% bonds, you're going to have some years with a loss. You know, you think of bonds as safety. You think of bonds as not volatile. You think of bonds as steady income. Yes, they are those things, but you can still lose money. Only 14 of those 93 years did, though. So let's go to the opposite end. What's 100% stock? Same time period, 1926 to 2018. So 100% bonds return 5.3% with 14 of 93 years as a loss. 100% stocks, 26 of 93 years with a loss. So only 12 more years. The worst in, a, in an average annual return of 10.1, so almost double the, the return. The best year was 54%, and the worst year was 43%. Now, what? let's go kind of somewhere in the middle. So let's do a 50% stock, 50% bond. Same time period, you have an 8.2% return, 18 of 93 years with a loss. So they were kind of, and, they, and it breaks it down, you know, each 10% increment. But you can go on there. I will include that link in the show notes, but just to give you a kind of perspective that, you're still going to have some down years with 100% bonds, and it's barely going to keep up beyond inflation, so it's not going to get you those big returns. And understanding, going back to this stuff, is not a perfect science. You know, John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, Burton Mankiel wrote the, the Random Walk Down Wall Street. Charles Ellis has written several good books and investment consultant that this stuff is not a perfect science. All have different recommendations on how you allocate your investments. You know, one of those is kind of a conservative risk investor, John Bogle. Uh, Burton Mankiel is kind of a moderate risk investor, and Charles Ellis is very aggressive. And where, you, where you're gonna depend on that is a little bit on your past experience, uh, your age a little bit, how much return do you need, how much risk do you need to take, and those are all very wise men who have 
you know, their best interest and your best interest at heart, and yet they totally, totally don't agree on the issue. So it's important to take your time and figure out what is right for you and then stick to it and understanding that it's going to change over time. You know, when you are first investing in your 20s, 30s, it's going to be a little bit different than when you're investing in your 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. So the important thing is to focus your efforts, regardless of your age, on owning broadly diversified, no-load index funds that provide you exposure to entire markets and continents. And ETFs could be providing there too. And why we want to own those is they're, they're very low cost, they're very well diversified, and it's not about timing the market. You know, we are, we're not, we understand that we are not smarter than, than the computers that are, that are trading on a daily basis, for example. So buy index ETF mutual funds, keep costs low and increase returns over those over time. Because if you don't focus on, on the cost, then those costs are going to compound instead of your returns and your money compounding more. Allocate those index funds all over the world. So, so international, U.S., value companies, growth companies, small companies, small cap, real estate, and, and focus on owning negatively correlated asset classes. And I'm knowing throwing out words, you're like, what? Well, basically, negatively correlated is it's like a teeter-totter. When one goes up, the other one might go down. Not all the time, but sometimes. So, for example, international and U.S. stocks tend to move in opposite directions. Bonds and stocks tend to move in opposite directions. So those are negatively correlated asset classes. And that reduces the risk, which is a good thing, because you don't, again, you, you don't want everything to go up at the same time. And we here are under the understanding of buy and hold your investments for long periods of time, for decades. You know, we're not buying and selling every day or every week or every month or every year. It's a buy and hold strategy once we have our asset allocation investment plan put together. Time is your friend. Compounding is your friend. And then pick a rebalance strategy. So are you going to rebalance once a year? Uh, are you going to, like on January, are you going to pick a threshold method when your stocks get 10% out of whack, for example, if you're a 60% stocks, 40% bond person, then when your stocks get to 70 or 50, you'd rebalance. So, and many people will, will mistake, and kind of going back to that diversification, many people will mistake in diversification for the number of funds they own, for example. You know, I've helped, I've helped uh, clients, people before, uh, family members, friends, where they just own like dozens and dozens and dozens of funds. Or they're in many different investment accounts, like they have a pre-tax account, they have a Roth account, they have a taxable account, and they think that that, that might be diversified. Well, neither one of those situations is necessarily diversified. You may be, but just those does not make you diversified. So starting with the myth of the investment account theory of diversification, for example. So just because someone has a Roth IRA, a 401k at your workplace, a brokerage account, which is a taxable account, does not mean that you are diversified. Think of your investment accounts as buckets. And inside those buckets, you hold your broadly diversified mutual funds. Example of a fund is an S&P 500, for example, which is a stock. It owns the 500 largest companies in the U.S. You could also hold some bond funds. And some of those stock funds should be maybe U.S. located, maybe some international ones, maybe some real estate, maybe some small companies, maybe some value companies. 
So that would be owning multiple different mutual funds would be diversified. And that gets kind of the second myth of I'm, because you're thinking I'm diversified because I have 10, 20, 30 or so funds. It is not the number of funds you own because, for example, I can own one fund or five funds and be diversified more than you. It's about what those funds own themselves, what's inside them when you dig deep into them. So, for example, the S&P 500, going back to that, owns the 500 largest companies in the U.S. An international fund may own emerging and developed countries, or it may only hold one of those. So it's important to know what it holds. If it just says international, does it hold developed and emerging? Does it hold just developed? How much does it hold if it owns both of those? Does it like 80% developed, 20% emerging? So it's important to dig in and figure that out. And, you know, kind of think about it. You know, I talked about the bucket analogy. Maybe, maybe you relate to that. Maybe you don't. Or maybe think about it like the importance of a diversification as a bowl of soup, as one of my friends drew a picture of and liked to describe. You know, you're going to have some stocks in there. You're going to have some bonds in there. Maybe your stock is like a jalapeno and your bond is like the meat. And then you're going to have some spice and some broth in there. So you're going to have some, some real estate that is going to produce some nice dividends. And you're going to have some small cap value that's just going to be volatile. Maybe that's like a jalapeno. So understanding that it's mixing and matching those uh, mutual funds, stocks and bonds accordingly to make a nice soup, to make a nice bucket. So how can you figure out what is the right asset allocation for you? Well, for you, it's based on your situation. Again, it may change slightly over time. You know, maybe maybe very aggressive when you're when you're younger because you want to build that wealth and maybe tailor down more towards closer to retirement, or maybe you're steady the whole way through. So it's based upon your time horizon. It's based upon your risk tolerance. It's based upon your risk capacity. So what does all that mean? So your time horizon. How much time do you have before you need the money? So think of these in terms of buckets. So we have a short-term bucket. We have a long-term bucket, and then we have a bucket in between that, kind of a middle-term, middle intermediate bucket. So your short-term bucket is like one to three years. That's going to be like mainly cash. Your long-term bucket is 10 plus years. That's going to be mainly stocks. And then in the middle, your intermediate term, that's going to be anywhere from like five to seven years, seven to 10 years, you know, somewhere in that middle range. Think of those as bonds. So you're going to have those different buckets because that's how you're going to, when when you're in your nearing in, in, into retirement, when you're withdrawing, that's kind of your part of your withdrawal, creating your paycheck strategy of having those different buckets. But it, it also can be used when you're looking at your asset allocation and th thinking in terms of contribution and rebalancing. So... That's your time horizon, kind of the, the different buckets. You know, how, how, much, how much time will you need to access that? And then risk tolerance. So what level of risk can you handle? Is this your kind of first time around the block with, with investing? How long have you been investing for? What is your experience? So kind of what, what level of risk can you handle? What level of risk have you shown to handle? You know, for example, have you been through market downturns? And how have you reacted? Have you sold? Have you stayed the course? Do 
Do you know what I'm talking about? So what range of returns are you able to handle? And I kind of talked about that before, and I'll include that in the, the link of, you know, 100% bond for portfolio versus 100% stock portfolio versus like a 50% stock and 50% bond portfolio. What are you able to handle? And think of it in terms of like a nice round figure, like 500,000, for example. If you were to, if that's, if the market was going to go down 20%, could you withstand temporarily seeing the value? Because you haven't lost until you sell. The value of your portfolio going down 100000 Could you withstand that? Are you able to withstand a 20% downturn? A 30% downturn? It's going to come back up. It always has. It will. We just don't know when. And we don't know when it will go down. So that's why we're in it for the long haul. We're in it for decades. So, and then the third one here is risk capacity. So that is the amount that you must be taken in order to reach your goals. So what level of return is required to meet your lifestyle goals and objectives? So think of your, your lifestyle expenses now. Think of your projected lifestyle expenses in the future in retirement. And have you, are you tracking your spending? Do you have a budget? What are those numbers look like? So that is going to be, you know, what what return do you actually need? You know, if it is a is a is a fifty fifty stock bond portfolio going to be enough for you? Is that return going to be enough of about an eight percent return over nineteen twenty six to twenty eighteen? What kind of return do you need to be able to live the lifestyle that you want? You know, now and in the future, because that's really what it's about. You want to live the lifestyle that you want. You want to do what you want, when you want, how you want. You want that financial independence. You want that financial freedom, right? So what level of return is that going to require? So that that take that goes kind of the tactical side a little bit of getting to the nuts and bolts of what's going to be required. How much are you going to need to save? How much are you going to need to have in stocks and bonds? What type of stocks maybe that you're going to need to hold uh, because those produce a greater return? And how is that mix going to work in your portfolio? And this often has to do with an investor's, your, your income, your financial resources. So think Social Security, think pension, etc. Those income targets must first be calculated, though, in order to determine, to decide the amount of risk that may be required. And maybe you're the person that doesn't really need a whole lot from the portfolio, but you still want it to grow a lot because you want to leave uh, a lot of money for your beneficiaries or you want to give a lot of money to charity or whatever the case may be that maybe just because you're not uh, withdrawing much or any from your investment portfolio you still want it to grow and that's okay but what you know that goes back to what are your goals and objectives and, and just keep in mind it's not a perfect science what is right for someone else may not be right for you you know because what is the money for what is the money for is it for your lifestyle only is it for others um, a rule of thumb you can use is if some of that was kind of over your head so far, and I went in the previous episode went through some rule of the thumb. Um, you could subtract your age from 120. That could be a, a a nice rule of thumb for you. So the resulting number is the percentage of your portfolio you should invest in stocks. So if it's 120 minus 40, 80% stocks. So what is it going to be for you? Again, it comes down to diversification and cost as you, as you decide how much you are going to own in stocks and bonds and cash. You want to be diversified all over the world without overlapping investments. 
you know too much that own the same that own the same stock. So having multiple S and P 500 funds, for example, and you're going to get there, you're going to stay there, you're going to buy and hold, you're going to balance on what your strategy is, whether it's once a year, is it on a threshold method, and is rebalancing is needed to keep your asset allocation where you want it. So if you're if you're on the threshold method, you may not, you may only be doing it every few years. You necessarily don't have to be doing it every year, because over time your portfolio can end up on a whack. You know whether the whether the stock market's going way up, or it's going all of a sudden turn for the other direction and way down. You're going to need to rebalance. You may need to sell some stocks, or you may need to sell some bonds uh, to get back to where you want to be. And when you're doing this, or you could do the rebalancing method also through the contribution uh, or the withdrawal uh, phase as well. You want to do this as much as possible, though, if you're kind of selling, selling stocks or bonds inside retirement accounts when possible to avoid those tap, tax repercussions. And you can, you know, going, you can do this again when you're building your funds or withdrawing your funds. So rebalancing, again, is, is fairly easy to explain because you choose a method. Is it once a year? Is it a 5% threshold? Is it a 10% threshold when your stocks, bonds are a little bit out of whack from your target allocation? But it's, it is hard to do in the moment. So it may sound easy, but it's really not. Because unless you've done it before, you need to because you need to sell some of your winners, whether that's bonds or stocks, and you need to buy your losers. This is this is in we know this is the right thing to do, but it's very hard to actually act on doing it. You know, just get, you just have a plan. You need to stick to it. So find the right approach and stick to it for yourself. And, and this is where it comes to knowing thyself. Are you going to be able to do this, or are you going to need to hire an advisor and hire an advisor to do this? For example, John Bogle, we talked about people in in many different boats. He recommends you keep your bonding cash allocation a number that equals your age. That's kind of his simplicity rule of thumb. So if you're 60, you'd have 6% bonds and 40% stocks. It's quite conservative, but he would say that people are not as aggressive as they think they are. So it's one thing to talk about when the market's dropping, but it's another to experience it firsthand. You must find that allocation that will not cause you to freak out and sell because you can do things right for a whole, for 10 years. But if you freak out and sell one second, you just unraveled everything that you just did those past 10 years. So know thyself. Do you need help? What is the right asset allocation for you? And here's a quote by William Bernstein. No matter how you allocate your investments, you will always wish that you had assigned more to the best performer and nothing at all to the worst performer. Since no one can predict which these will be, the safest course is to own them all, and thereby, as best you can, assure yourself of not being devastated by Enron or Lehman. And what he means by owning them all is owning those broadly diversified mutual funds that own hundreds and thousands of different stocks, different companies. So you're an owner of those companies. For example, you're an owner of Apple. You're an owner of Amazon by, the, by owning the S&P 500. And where can you invest these, this, this money? You can invest it inside your workplace retirement account. Maybe that's a 401k, a 403b, a TSP, a 457. Maybe you're self-employed and it's a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, an individual 401k. You can invest in a Roth IRA, a, a pre-tax traditional IRA. The important thing is don't get too cute. 
focus on getting those market returns at the lowest possible cost. And here's another quote by David Swenson. Invest in low turnover passively managed index funds and stay away from the profit-driven investment management organizations. The mutual fund industry is a colossal failure resulting from its systemic exploitation of individual investors as funds extract enormous sums from investors in exchange providing a shocking disservice. So it's important to understand the financial industry. When I, when I talk about the financial industry, that's a very broad term, especially when I'm a financial advisor talking about the financial, financial planner, talking about the financial industry. So many of you maybe have had not good experience with financial advisors before. It's important to know what the different types are. There's, you know, there's fee only, there's fee based, there's commissions, there's just basically salespeople. What, what are they? Are they there in your best interest? And then you have kind of Wall Street, you know, kind of the financial industry as a whole. So kind of as a whole, they do a lot of marketing, they do a lot of predicting, they do a lot of selling, they do a lot of failing, they do, and, and a lot of it's just a show. So and it's important not to be completely swayed by their credentials. You want to make sure they're educated, they're experienced, they know what they're doing, but don't let the credentials just kind of befuddle you. So they always may not be the experts they claim to be. Understand the products are built for the kind of industry as a whole because some of the things, you know, think of annuities, for example, whole life insurance, they're very complicated products. So if you don't understand what it is, if they can't explain it to you very well and you don't understand it, then get out. It's not for you. There, there is somebody else that can better serve you. And one last quote here by Jack Mayer, who is the chief investment officer of the Harvard Endowment Fund. The investment business is a giant scam. Most people think they can find managers who can outperform, but most people are wrong. I will say that 85 to 90% of managers fail to match their benchmarks because managers have fees and incur transaction costs. You know that in the aggregate, they are deleting value. You want to keep your fees low. That means avoiding the most hyped, but expensive funds in favor of low-cost index funds. And by managers, he's talking about managers of actually managed funds. And that's why I keep talking about index funds, ETFs. Those are, those are passively managed. So we want to avoid kind of those actively managed high-cost funds. We also want to avoid individual securities because what you know is also known by many. You know, think of, think of Enron. The next Enron will come. The next Bernie Madoff is out there. So broad diversification will reduce that risk. There's many computers out there that are smarter than us. So you trust me, we will be the last to know. So be very skeptical of the next big thing. You know, whether that's the dot-com bubble, dot-com bubble, the housing bubble, gold, silver, they're trying to sell you on the commercials, TV. So do not let the greed gene kind of take over your life. So avoid that herd behavior when things, you know, when things are going up, 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 and people are telling you buy, buy, buy. Well, you already have your investment plan. What was that? Or it's the opposite. Things are going down, down, down. People are telling you sell, sell, sell. Well, what is your investment plan? And lastly here, separate life insurance from investing. So life insurance, separate insurance and investing. If you need life insurance, go get life insurance. If you need investing, get investing. Whole life insurance, for example, is part insurance, part investing. Keep those separate. Whole life insurance, there's a lot of baked costs in there. It's, it's hard to untangle. As we wrap up here, 
figure out what is the right allocation for you based on your situation. You can do this by time horizon in, the, in different buckets, short term, long term, intermediate term. Your risk tolerance, your risk capacity, what level of return is required. Buy those index mutual funds, those ETFs, keep the cost low, increase, those will help increase returns over time. Diversify, diversify, diversify. Buy and hold your investments for the long term. Time is your friend. And what is your rebalancing strategy? For once a year or so, is it on the threshold method? And lastly here, my call to action. Determine what you want your target allocation to be. Then determine your rebalancing strategy. And lastly, determine what your actual allocation is currently. So hey, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Peeling Back Money in Life. Please share this with three people right now. Tell someone about this episode and what you took away from it. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear about in the future. Give it a five-star rating in iTunes so we can help reach more people. And until next time, enjoy. Disclaimer here. This podcast is for educational purposes only as anything you'd find online. I only give advice to people I know their personal situation. And without knowing yours, it'd be foolish to provide advice. For advice, consult with your accountant, the experts you have in your life, your accountant, your attorney, your financial advisor, essentially the people who know you and your situation personally.